Hi, and welcome to episode 119 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and I'm very excited to be bringing you my conversation today with Justin Patton, the head curator of international art at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. And I spoke with him about the Matisse exhibition, which is now on at the gallery until 13th of March, 2022. It's called Matisse Life and Spirit, Masterpieces from the Centre Pompidou Paris, which is France's leading modern art museum. And Justin co-curated the exhibition with the Pompidou's curator of modern collections, Dr Aurélie Verdier, and the Art Gallery of New South Wales special exhibitions curator, Jackie Dunn. And this episode is also a video which you can see on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel. And there's a link to that in the show notes, which is probably on your app or go to talkingwithpainters.com or just go to YouTube and search Justin Patton. As well as being a curator, Justin is also an excellent writer. You might have read his acclaimed classic book, How to Look at a Painting, which was adapted into a TV series. And he's also written about many artists, most recently in his book, Makan Country, which is about the works of the famous New Zealand painter, Colin Makan. I wasn't expecting to make this conversation into a podcast episode, and so I hadn't taken my audio equipment with me to the gallery. So apologies for the less than perfect sound, but I just thought this conversation was too good not to put on the podcast. I started by asking Justin what people can expect to see in the exhibition. The conventional answer is they can expect to see six decades, many more than 100 great works by Matisse, you know, one of the most loved Um, painters of the 20th century. Um, But maybe a more interesting answer is they can expect to see um, anxiety, colour, arabesques, purple, green, breathing space, floating, soulfulness, uplift. Yeah, so I'm... The long story through the uh, career is um, a rich one to follow. Uh, but the works individually are so beguiling and as they've come out of their crates there's that lovely moment of, of, of intimacy you know when you reconnect not with the kind of iconic image that exists in your mind but with the thing that he made and he was such a maker you know he's such a, a studio worker and he was relentlessly self-critical you know for you know what is what has been really apparent to me in a way that I, I, I hadn't quite clocked before doing the show is that this artist who spoke so often about wanting lightness and joyousness in his work, you know, went to great pains to achieve that. You know, there is all of that revision and self-criticism and, and hard work and abandonment and erasure and letting go and reinvention yeah. that's needed to get you to that place of lightness and joyousness. You know, so it's a, it's a great reminder. You've got, those aren't trivial things, you know, a quality of playfulness and uplift and, mm. and, and, and directness and almost childlike simplicity, which we, of course, see in these beautiful studies for the Vons Chapel. Um, those, are not, uh, those are not things that necessarily come easily. You have to prepare for them um, and uh, you've got to do the hard yards before mm. they will come to you in the right way. Yeah. Well, can I take you back to his early days? Mm. Because a lot of painters as you would know, are very interested in colour. Um, And obviously that's something that's gone through his whole life. But Mm. can we go back to the Fauvis period? Was there a couple in there that I saw? Yeah, yeah, there are several amazing um, paintings from the Fauvis moment. And and just as interestingly, there are works that bracket that moment. So there is a wonderful early painting called The Reader, which is very much influenced by Corot as a a dark, almost gravy brown palette. 
And then, of course, you just swing your eyes around the room and you can see uh, in a painting from Balliol that he has met, you know, the Australian Impressionist John Russell and that heat and light and glare and intensity has started to come into the palette. Um, the show does begin with that lovely anecdote about Matisse um, in his early 20s when he's convalescing and his mother gave him a box of paints and he, and he, and he said that, you know, from that moment onwards, his direction was set and, and he, he went to painting as an animal rushes towards something that he loves. Mm. Well, we're at the moment, we're in this spectacular space, mm. uh, which is evoking um, the Chapel of the Rosary in Vance, which he created. Mm. Uh, can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is, um, I think it's a show with lots of high points, but this is, um, this is a big spike in the graph. Um, <laughs> and usually, to go to the chapel at Vence, you have to get all the way to the south of France and then travel inland to the small village and you visit that space that Matisse called the Sacred Shoebox, you know, very unprepossessing building from outside. And he, in a way, kept its dimensions deliberately modest, but then you step inside and you're in this... Um, uh, you've really stepped inside a Matisse artwork. He made the windows, he made the, the murals on the walls, he made the vestments that the Dominican um, brothers and priests wore. He called it the culmination of his, of his life's work. And amazingly, we've been able to reconstitute, as you put it, an, an evocation of the space. It's not a replication of the space. What you're seeing is the second set of studies for the chapel. And in fact, he wasn't able to realise these very ebullient um, designs because of the complexity of the forms. It was tricky to make them happen in stained glass. But we're so happy to have them here. And what's wonderful about this particular study for the, the two big windows that stand behind the altar is that these forms, these wonderful, almost like hand-like forms, which rise up, are of course derived from his 1930 trip to Tahiti. They are lagoon leaves. You know? So here, in a Dominican Catholic chapel in the south of France, this image of exaltation and resurrection um, is being articulated through forms from, from our part of the world. What the presentation here also draws out is that the chapel is part of that great tradition of, of, of painter-designed chapels that you have in the 20th century. You think of Stanley Spencer's chapel at Berkeley, you think of the Rothko Chapel. They are these spaces where someone of faith can come in and see one thing, and someone who is not faithful but who only believes in art can come and see something different. So that, I think that is a live tension and one that makes the experience of this room all the more um, powerful. Yeah. But, you know, Matisse, when he made these works, was uh, an old man, you know, and he was nearing the end of the most extraordinary second life as an artist. In, in 1941, he'd been rushed to hospital. Uh, he had duodenal cancer. There was a very um, traumatic operation that he underwent. And he came very close to death. And when he was recovering in the hotel room, he had a, a dream of being sunk in a tomb-like space with no, no light coming in. And I do like to think of this room and the chapel itself as the kind of counterpoint to that, because he came back. He, he referred to himself as a, a resurrection or a resuscitation and embarked on this incredible second life. And it was a, a moment of, not of heaviness, you know, it's not like Goyer, it's not like Philip Guston, it's not like Rembrandt, where the late work has this sense of gravity and weightedness to it. It's a moment of letting go. And he said that that experience, which of course uh, he turned to because he was unwell, 
you know, he was working mostly from his bed or his wheelchair. That experience of guiding the tailor's shears through the, the gouache painted sheets of paper, he said it gave him the sensation of flying, you know, the, the feeling yeah, of right. just being able to carve shapes so easily mm. from colour, um, mm. a very kind of pure and distilled form of activity. And I think it's a very affecting moment in, in his career mm. because, you know, he could never have predicted that that would be the place he would end up. You know, I think as with many uh, of the great kind of innovations or epiphany moments that kick in in artists' careers, um, the artist can only get ready to receive the gift when it comes to them. You know, you've got to prepare to receive that insight, but you can't, you can't hurry it into being. Mm. And Matisse just happened to be in the right place for this, for this moment of liftoff to, yeah. to occur. It's so interesting that you talk about the influence of the Pacific because, of course, downstairs is the magnificent Matisse Alive exhibition, mm. which you curated yeah. as well, yeah. in which you commissioned a, a number of female artists to do yeah. some absolutely brilliant work. Um, how do you see that show fits in with this? Yeah, well, you know, there's a, there's, there's a life in the title of this show, Matisse Life and Spirit, and then we have Matisse Alive downstairs. And I think the, that, that echo or rhyme... Um, Gestures towards one of the defining qualities of Matisse, you know, as, as these works have come out of their crates, I've really had a feeling that um, the paintings are almost making themselves before your eyes. You know, he's, he, and that's part of his modernity as a painter. You know, he, he's not giving you a sealed off, finished product that's kind of varnished and, 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 and locked away as a, as a fiction. He's showing you his thinking. He wants you to feel as though you were looking over his shoulder as he revises, adjusts, amends a line sands something back. Um, so there's a kind of, you know, a poetry of making and revision that's, that's present in the work. And um, I think that's one of the reasons that his work feels so alive to artists today. It feels alive to painters. Uh, it feels alive to many, many artists. And we really wanted to amplify that sense of uh, a real and dynamic conversation between artists who are alive and making today and this artist who is no longer with us, but whose works feel alive. Mm. And, um, you know, he, he, there, are, there are formal issues, conceptual issues, um, themes, subjects that he kind of lofted into the air that still feel very um, present, are sort of there for the season if someone is, is, is up for it. Um, yeah, so, so four artists, Sally Smart, Nina Chanel Abney, Angela Teatia, and the, the wonderful New Zealand artist Robin White have all you know, come at Matisse, they've talked to him, they've talked back at him in interesting ways. Um, and it's quite a stern test to submit an artist of mm. the past too, you know, because not all of our modernist masters are looking as shiny as they once did. Um, <laughs> no, that's true, actually. Well, I think it's a, a, an absolutely brilliant show. And I think, uh, as I've said to my followers, I've said, you're not going to be able to see, take in both shows in one go, but you could have a you could have a crack at it. But <laughs> I think it requires two visits to the gallery. So um, Matisse Alive is free, so they can easily come back and see it. Thank you so much for your time today, Justin. No trouble at all. Pleasure to see you here. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Justin Patton as much as I did. As I mentioned earlier, the show runs until the 13th of March and Matisse Alive until the 3rd of April, so make sure you get to the gallery if you're in Sydney.
And don't forget, you can always follow Talking With Painters on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, all for free. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. Thank you.